Hey, you're listening to season two of Katie's Journey. I'm your host, Kaylee Dwyer. And in this podcast, I interview professionals across a variety of industries to learn about their journey to success and how we can learn from them. Tune in if you're interested in gaining these insights and learning something new. Welcome to episode 21 of KD's Journey. This is the first episode jumping into season two, where our theme is here, Curious Hustle. What is Curious Hustle? Well, in short, I'll be focusing on the journey of professionals that have proven time and time again that learning new things and hustling to accomplish their goals are critical factors in their ongoing success. In today's episode, we'll be learning more about Anthony Mercurio. Anthony is a speed and performance coach for athletes looking to build better habits. In addition to that, he's also the owner of Prime Movement and Performance located in New Hartford, New York, aka my favorite place to go every single day. I wanted to kick off season two with Anthony primarily because he is one of the most talented individuals I've met from an entrepreneurial perspective, as well as someone who puts a new meeting into building better habits consistently. Let's jump into it. Okay, we are rolling. Anthony, let's start from the beginning. How did you get into the mo- movement and performance world? Uh, it's funny. It's kind of a, a unorthodox kind of story. I didn't. I didn't start off as being a trainer or a gym owner, uh, for that matter. I started off as a physical education teacher in New York City, where I was coaching football and track and field. Uh, I would say I'd say probably like five or six years in. Our field and our track was under construction. So we partnered up with another Brooklyn high school where the head coaches were were buddy-buddy. And when we went there, they had brought a gentleman in from an organization called Perform Better. He had come and run our teams through a warm-up, some dynamic drills, and some different things. He, he was a younger guy, probably maybe a few years older than I am. And afterwards, we chatted and we got, we kind of clicked. We became friends for the next couple of years, you know, talked. We, I talked to him recently, actually. And he was like, hey, if you're really into this stuff, we, we do a summit. We do a three-day training summit where, you know, the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world come and speak, do presentations, so on and so forth. He's like, you come, I'll comp your ticket. You just got to get yourself there and get a hotel room and, and whatever. So I was like, all right, whatever. It was, pro- it was in Providence, Rhode Island. I lived in New York City at the time, so it wasn't a bad commute. And I went there and I heard speakers who people who work with, you know, the San Diego Chargers, people who work with uh, super, not, I was, I'll say superheroes, but the people who play actors, people who play superheroes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, because he, he works with superheroes. And, you know, people who work with a lot of professional sports teams, people who work with uh, high end athletes, people who work with a, a wide spectrum of people. And when I was there, like I kept seeing these initials after most people's names and it was called it was CSCS which stands for a certified strength and conditioning coach. So immediately after that, I had like this super buzz, you know, like if you've been to a conference and you've learned a bunch of information that you're passionate about, it's like getting high and like on this information, I was like so excited. I came home so excited and I immediately looked up what a CSCS was and how to get one. Come to find out, it was just a, a certification through the National Strength and Conditioning Association, the NSCA. And it was one of the, at the time, you're talking 10, maybe more, 10 or more years ago, 
you needed a bachelor's degree and some sort of extra ex physiology degree, which I had in physical education. So, and then I was also, you had to go and do all this coursework and, and pass the test. So it put, it put the certification on this pedestal and all the coaches, if you wanted to be a strength and conditioning coach at a division one level or on a football team or professional level, you needed this certification. So I was like, all right, whatever, I'll go do this. You know, I studied for a little bit, read the book, did all the things. And then six months later, I, I passed the test and I got my CSCS. At the time, I was still coaching and teaching physical education. And um, shortly after that, my wife was taking kickboxing classes. And on Sundays, they were hosting it at a CrossFit gym. The, the owner and the kickboxing coach were, were kind of friends and he would rent the space out. As you know, like our gym, we're not really open on Sundays. So he was using that as an opportunity to get more revenue. And the kickboxing guy was looking for a space. So wow. Go, yeah. So I go pick up my wife on a Sunday and the owner of the, the CrossFit gym is there and he comes out, we start chatting and he's like, you know, you should really try this. And I told him I had my CSCS and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's like, you'd be a great fit. You know, I played football, so I knew every, uh, how to do stuff. So maybe like, I don't even know if it was the next day or, or a week later, my wife and I sign up for their fundamentals. This might've been like early September, October. And then by December, I was coaching as one of their coaches on staff there. So, oh, geez. Fast track right to coaching. Yeah. Fast track. Well, I mean, when I went there, so different than a lot of other people's experiences who come into a training center gym, like, like prime movement performance, I had played college football. I had learned how to power clean and jerk and snatch and squat and bench press all these different things from when I was in high school. And then I did it in college as well. So I had all this experience. So I picked up the movements very, very quickly, I guess, because I knew how to do them already. And I was already you know, in perspective of the clientele that was at the gym, I was already pretty advanced in terms of my movement proficiency. And then having the background knowledge of being a physical education teacher, a coach, and then having that certification allowed me the opportunity to fast track through a lot of those different things. And then, so that's how, that was the in initial introduction to it and how I got actually started into doing like more of like a private sector outside of the, the public sector of the high school. Wow. So how did that start? to impact your vision of what your future business could look like? How did you start to map map that roadmap? Yeah. So initially, I didn't really have any other... I guess I, I should go back to that conference. So that conference, I, I repeated. I continually went to that conference every year. And there was one person who stood out, which was Mike Boyle. And he owns a strength and, a strength and conditioning facility out in, uh, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. His facility is beautiful, amazing. And it looks, <laughs> it looks very similar to how ours looks right now. So once I saw his facility and kind of like what he was doing, and he became kind of like my unknowing mentor, like he, you know, he did always answer emails and we, we talked on occasion. We, we, we would, you know, have a beer at, at the social of those conferences and we would chat. And, you know, so we have a, a cordial kind of relationship in some ways, but I, I read all of his books. So once... I got to that point where I was thinking about that his was like the model I was looking at to do. Mm -hmm. And then probably a few years into just being a CrossFit coach and slash personal trainer there, I started doing my own. I, I found like a little, obviously I worked with athletes. So I found a little niche that, that in Brooklyn wasn't existent and it still isn't unfortunately because I left and nobody really took that, picked, that it up. Brain, picked it up. And there was no youth training 
for like strength and conditioning in Brooklyn. We're talking a, a, a borough of millions of people, you know, like a million people. And there's nobody really doing a good quality like high school collegiate strength and conditioning program. So I started it and I started Prime Performance in, in Brooklyn where I ran it out of the CrossFit gym. So oh, on wow. Their, yeah, so on, on their, Sundays. No, not on Sundays. On Usually it was mostly just in the summer. Uh, it's when I did the extra stuff is I did it in the summertime when I was off and there was more open space like during the daytime when the, yeah. the, when the gym is a little bit more vacant. So I, I started working with a lot of uh, youth football athletes. I, there was one uh, father who put me onto their whole baseball team. So I worked with a whole youth baseball team. I started working with some of the athletes from the high school that I worked at. And I started building this, this trend and this little vibe of being a strength and conditioning coach for youth athletes through prime, through prime performance uh, out of the CrossFit gym that I was working at. And then I would run speed camps in the local parks and I would do some other stuff with some of my former athletes. Like if you heard uh, the podcast I have with my the triple jumper who was at the Olympic trials, we would meet like at 6 a.m. on you know in the weekdays when they were home for the summer at a, at a local park and do track workouts. So I was kind of all over the place doing a lot of different things to kind of get out there and train folks and especially train athletes. Wow. So how do you think that diverse experience and not only coaching a diverse group but also having that experience with such a wide range of athletes has really helped you kind of laser focus where you are today. Well, I think what, what helps is seeing the different developmental timelines of people and seeing, let's say you're working with the older folk and what, what their experiences were that have kind of made them limited in some ways as a, as an adult, you know, maybe they had, mm -hmm. they lack mobility or flexibility or strengths in certain areas and certain things that, you know, might've been, injury prone, you know, and cause injuries and then going into adulthood, seeing what they look like and then trying on the, the, the front end when the kids are younger, trying to prevent that stuff from happening. So giving me that whole kind of timeline, look at it, it gives me a lot of perspective on how to help young athletes. My goal for all young athletes is to stay healthy. You know, yes, some coaches want them to lift heavy and, and increase their performance. But my big thing is if I can keep you healthy, then you're going to increase your performance anyway because you just get more reps. You get more time to play. You're not on the bench for a year while all your friends are continuing to improve. So my big thing is to how to improve performance is just to stay healthy. So a lot of it is, is deep-rooted in health and performance second. So if I can keep somebody healthy and pain-free, they're going to be able to have a, a longer career and tenure in their sport, and they're also going to be able to continue doing these things for a long time. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I know that you're a major fan of James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. So when we're talking about young athletes and trying to build better habits in their youth to, like you just said, have a longer career and hopefully better performance within that career, tell me about some of the habits that you try building within your athlete base today to, to promote that moving forward. Well, in the movement sector during classes, we talk a lot about, about doing things correctly right? Doing them well before we add any weight. I talk a lot about being able to control their own body before being able to control like external stuff, right? Because if you're playing a sport and you're running around, the first thing you have to do is be able to control your own body. We were just talking with them about this yesterday. And then you have to kind of fight somebody off potentially. You know, if you're playing football, you got to push somebody around or get not get pushed around. So we want to be able to control our, our body first and control it in a way that's the most efficient way to do that. And then we can start working with the external load. So I do a lot of body weight training 
and a lot of single leg and unilateral stuff to get them to be stable and be able to control themselves. Because a lot of, especially I work with a lot of soccer girls, a lot of the soccer, women's soccer is, is, has so many ACL injuries and a lot of them are non-contact injuries. So a non-contact injury is when you're just running on your own and you go to change direction and nobody's there and you blow your ACL. That is, oh. it's not fully preventable, but you can mitigate the risk of that tremendously with a proper strength and conditioning program. Now, if somebody dives into your knee, that's a contact injury. That's a little bit different and a little bit harder to prevent or mitigate the risk of. So if I can get rid of all the non-contact things where you are only having to control your own body weight, then that's going to help tremendously just being able to live that, that long life in your sport and just in general. And second, we try to, try to touch upon a, a wide variety of things. Like some of my younger, which is really interesting, my youngest group, which is seventh and eighth graders, we talk so much about sleep because they're going to bed at one, two, three o'clock in the morning every night. Oh, geez. Exactly. So we talk about, I ask them every day they come in, I was like, what time did you go to sleep last night? And one, one of the girls who was, you know, always like 3 a.m. Now she's like midnight. I was like, oh, midnight. Yes, there we go. So trying to just get them in the idea that like sleep is important. Food is important and drinking water is important and, and not like overwhelming themselves with all these different things. I'm like, what do you do until 3 a.m.? Like you can't just sit there and play video games all day or be on TikTok. You have to be, if you're going to be up at a certain point, at least try to be productive, read a book, do something where you're actually stimulating yourself in a way that's going to push you towards something. You know, I can understand if you're you know, like for me as a business owner, if I'm staying up late, it's because I'm trying to do some work and I'm trying to do something to better my career, better something. I'm not just staying up just to stay up because I'm trying to be social with my friends on TikTok or Snapchat or whatever. So trying to yeah. get those like basic lifestyle things in there and I try to sprinkle them in from time to time, you know, whether that's nutrition and eating, making sure that they're drinking water, making sure that they're not overly doing technology and that they're moving their bodies and stretching. Like one of the things lately has been, you know, at least taking care of your body outside of the hour that you're here as well. So you have to do other things other than just this, especially if you're always tight and you always have pain in certain areas. Like you have to do a little bit more on your own that where I'm not here overlooking over your shoulder the whole time. So that combination of things, you know, if you put them all in, in a, a simple list, you know, basic lifestyle guidelines of like nutrition, sleep, water, and moving your body, in addition to when you're in the gym, trying to move well, control your body weight before you have to do any heavy, heavy weight lifting outside of that. And I think that's a, a recipe for, like what you said, like trying to build those habits for a long time. Yeah. And so understanding that we have largely transitioned into a completely virtual world, what are some changes that you've noted within your athlete base that, that have changed or maybe changed for the worse or, or the better over the pandemic? I think for the most part, the group of athletes that I work with is pretty similar. A lot of the athletes nowadays, because club sports are so big that even though school sports were kind of shut down for a little bit, a lot of them are still participating in club sports. So they were still getting that general idea. But what I did find is that a lot of students, especially in my, I still teach at a high school part time. And some of those students had put on a, a good amount of weight. And one of the things I talked to them about was just in general, and I would talk to them all the time about my steps because I wear like an iWatch or whatever. So I'd be like, hey, when I'm in school, I get this many steps a day. And when I'm at home doing a fully remote day, I get this many steps. And it'd be a difference of like five to 7,000 steps. So if you're remote, you know, if you're at home every day and you're just doing remote learning, your day-to-day -day activities 
are so low compared to if you were just in school walking from class to class, walking to the bathroom, walking out to lunch and coming back, participating in physical education class and all these different things that you are missing just like that basic movement part. And a lot of them wouldn't go outside and go for a walk. So that was one of the things just trying to get them, if you are going to be remote, one of the, our physical education lessons, quote unquote lessons was to go outside and walk for 30 minutes and just awesome. those day-to-day movements in where you're moving your body and you're not just slouched over even your computer and doing that sort of thing. And I think that's where some of that sleep stuff comes in because they didn't have to quote unquote go anywhere. They were able to just turn on their computer and sit in their bed and maybe not even log their screen in because they weren't making it, at least for some schools, they weren't making it mandatory to show your face. So they could just be on, but not really be there. So they could log in and then go back to sleep. You know what I mean? So I think that that has given like we're talking about building habits, it has allowed some of these middle school and high school kids who are a little bit more independent to build some really negative habits around their day-to-day routines. Yeah, absolutely. So personally for you, tell me about some of the habits that have been, you know, more of an arduous task to really build into your routine. I think, I think the, the fact that I, I force myself to, I shouldn't say I force myself because I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm prioritize exercise every day, at least something like we just talked about movement. And I think having, putting that in my calendar, or at least in my head, in my calendar, that I'm going to work out at this time or do this at this time. Um, one of the things I, I really try to harp on is trying to drink water. Like the first thing I do before I eat any food or do anything is drink water. Um, so those are some habits that I think just, I keep, keep going with, you know, before anything else, those are the two big things that have been, you know, water was tricky for at first because I would do like some sort of coffee first. So that's a big, that's, I shouldn't say it's a big change, but it's a new one for me and just really focusing. I have like a little Yeti, I think it's 20 ounces that I try to drink one or two of those before I do anything else. Tell me about a success story when working with athletes and adults. What's, what's your favorite success story? My favorite success story, all time. All time. Sheesh. That's a tough one. Um, I think on that one a little bit. I mean, I do have some, inc- like some of the stories, I mean, just in terms of athletes that I've worked with in New York City who might have not even had aspirations to go to college or thought college was an option for them. Now, I don't have maybe like one specific, I know one of my girls, Carla, who she was like my little sidekick and she's a little Haitian girl. She's like 4'11 and three quarters. And she ended up going to Cortland to be a long and triple jumper. Now, if you know what long and triple jumpers traditionally look like, they don't, they are not 4'11 and three quarters. Like the example of the other girl who I was saying went to Olympic trials, she's like 5'11, six foot. So there's a big difference there uh, for a jumper. So Carla is one of probably my, my best favorite success stories. Somebody who was not really like super into school and had a little tough road doing some things and definitely not what you would classify as a traditional looking or performing jumper, but she did very, very well. She would always do well at our track meets and good enough to be able to go to college and continue her education and do a lot of great things with that. So I think Carla is probably my, one of my dear to heart type things. She also crashed my wedding when I was Oh, my her, her and the other one who I was just saying Olympic trials, they just showed up at my wedding. It's so funny. They drove up here from New York city and just showed up. <laughs> That is awesome. Yeah, that was great. Well, it just goes to show, you know, we talked about this when we were working together on on the coaching playbook. You know, people don't remember when what what thing that you told them to do or 
um, you know, anything else in the gym, like having it ready, but they do remember you do it going the extra mile for just being there for them throughout different parts of their life. So I think, you know, having those relationships with athletes, even if they're crashing your let your wedding, it goes to show the relationship that goes behind the entire training aspect of it. Yeah, and Carla, I used to meal prep for her too. I used to bring her lunch every day to school. Like I'd meal prep, like whatever I was having, she would get a portion too. Wow, that's awesome. Like my daughter, she was like my daughter in school. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. So, um, kind of transitioning away from the movement and performance world. Sure you're very much also an entrepreneur. So let's dive into the entrepreneurial side of things. How did you kind of get started in that visionary visionary aspect of the entrepreneurial world? Well, I think like I talked about before with the youth performance thing is kind of where it all started. And I found something that wasn't available and I wanted to, and I, and I was something that I was pretty good at. So I thought that there was an opportunity for me there. And, you know, my friend, Shantae, who's the movement maestro on Instagram, and her and I would talk all the time uh, about just different entrepreneurial things that she's doing right now and that I'm doing right now. We kind of were both in cahoots, I guess, gassing each other up to do the thing that we're both doing right now uh, before it even was mm -hmm. a thing. So now seeing it years later and seeing that the evolution of it is pretty cool. But that that entrepreneurial part of it is to actually open my own gym and open my own facility happened when we moved. So I had probably a year before we moved um, from New York City to upstate New York, my wife was pregnant and we were trying to figure out what our next steps were. At the time, we were living in a studio apartment in Brooklyn with a 100 pound German Shepherd and a new baby potentially coming. So it was like, all right, we have to do something, right? We have to potentially get out of this location and either get a bigger place or start considering the possibility that we should move back upstate after, you know, this has been like nine or 10 years in New York City. I had established myself as the strength and conditioning coach. I was the athletic director of one of the top 10 high schools in New York City. That's also that's like 5,000 students, has some of the most sports that I had to manage and, you know order things for. I had to manage bus routes. I had to manage equipment. I had to manage money. I had to do all these sorts of entrepreneurial tasks for oh, this wow. school. And I was in charge of all of it, you know, from having coaches meetings to meeting with, you know, thousands of potential freshmen and parent meetings and all these sorts of things that I've always had to do. I shouldn't say always had to do, you know, I was, I was a football coach. I used to, you know, have to do banquets and have to do pretty much anything you can think about. Uh, that you would have to do, whether it's managing money, equipment, purchases, uh, bus organization, fields, so on and so forth. All those different things I had to be able to manage. Ordering uniforms, so being able to create stuff, creating a school uh, a football website. I did all those different things that you would need for an entrepreneurial venture, and I had to do them at a at the pace you know. And it wasn't it wasn't to make more money because I, I was already doing. You know, I had a job that was my full job. So it was just opportunities for me to learn. And then as, like I said, my wife was pregnant and then we, as just as things were kind of, you know, maybe at the pinnacle, like I could have stayed in that position forever and been completely happy. We decided to move back upstate. When we moved upstate, we weren't sure if we were going to get teaching jobs. We weren't sure about anything. We, we moved up when we made the decision to move back without 
any job. Like we didn't have a job. My wife and I, neither of us had jobs. We were fortunate enough to live in a family house, which her parents own was a two family house and they, there was an apartment available. So we had an opportunity to kind of go there and then figure it out for a little bit. We wow. came back here on February break of that year and we're driving around and there was a for sale a for lease sign on a like literally one mile from the house that we were going to live in there was a for lease sign on a 15 maybe 1200 square feet two stall garage which the previous crossfit gym that's in the area had vacated a few years prior and moved on to a bigger location so i knew a gym would have already been there and it had been successful there and we reached out we talked to the landlord and everything worked out the price was right and we had some money saved. I knew exactly what I was going to need to get this thing started. It already had rubber flooring in it from the previous gym. So it had all these different things that kind of just fell into play. And it allowed us the opportunity to be like, hey, let's just try this gym thing out and see if we can make it work. You know, some of our best friends from Brooklyn are from the gym that we've become a part of the last three years. So let's see if we can recreate this experience environment up there. So we, just, we, wow. we came up here again during spring break. We signed the lease. We got everything going. And then I, we, we were cleaning. We we're getting stuff, ordering equipment and getting it all up. And then we moved back here soon as school ended, probably July 1. And then we opened the gym August 1 of that year. That is crazy. Yeah, and then, you know, how, how crazy things work is that then immediately after that, we both got full-time teaching jobs as well for that, for that year. So the first year of the gym's operation Obviously, it worked out very well because, you know, our, I, I have to look. I, I kind of wanted to look and see. But I think our first month we had like seven members. You know, so That's that, crazy. So, and now yeah, it's so only it. running like one class a day after, you know, after work and then starting to have that see that grow gradually. I didn't need to do it as a full time job. I did it as a hobby initially with a full time job, uh, you know, where I was making money with any of the, the expenses from the gym. I could kind of because we weren't paying rent and because just things worked out for us in a way where I didn't need, we didn't need to make any money. And we were in the, the overhead was so low at the time that the expenses we were able to offset with our two full-time jobs that we had. Jeez, that is incredible. And you know, a lot of people when, you know, if you were to look at that situation and be like, okay, wow. So we're going to move from the city. We don't have jobs. We don't really have a plan. But we know that it's going to work out and we just trust that we could get through it and figure it out. That's pretty incredible to looking at where you are now in a much larger space with a much larger member base and kind of just seeing that growth in in the span of, you know, a few years of just absolutely crushing it through hustling and grinding your way through. So it's pretty incredible. And I know that we've talked before that you're very much a visionary. And, you know, coming with up with ideas, fantastic ideas. But how do you navigate and identify partners to support your visions and then put them into execution? Well, I think that's always the, the toughest part is to find people who can execute. Because obviously, and by no means through that, that last, you know, we're going into year number six right now because it was August 1st, 2015 when we first opened. And now we're into August of 2021. Mm-hmm. But, but and by no means that... Uh, we didn't make any mistakes, right? I made lots of mistakes, especially in hiring and having staff or trying to have people to help support the business throughout. And I've hired a lot of like contractors and different things 
that just didn't work out, you know, companies to help, you know, with website design, companies to help with client retention management, companies to help with social media. So, you know, so there's so many different things that I've tried that have failed miserably at that uh-huh. I've learned a lot of different lessons through that. And I think most entrepreneurs will tell you that. And it's just that as long as you can, that those things cannot crush you. You learn from them and allowed to go back. Like one of our one of the things that we did early on that almost that almost did crush the business was we had we partnered with this organization that was sponsoring a um like a six week challenge, and this was before mm-hmm. like the six week challenges have completely flooded the market, and it brought it doubled our membership base overnight. Right, we had like 40 people at the time and it brought 40 new people into the gym. And it literally doubled our membership base and we had no way to support the volume of things and it nearly crushed and crippled the business because it ended up making our class size way too big. We didn't have the space to to be able to support that. At the time we're talking you can maybe fit comfortably eight people in there and not well, I wouldn't even say comfortably. You would be a really tight eight people in there. And we were pushing like nine to 12 because we didn't have an opportunity to do that because we didn't have the space. And it just gave a bad taste and a bad vibe to some of the the original members with all these new people just all of a sudden coming in and flooding their classes and flooding their experience. So, yeah. So trying to find, I think I'm a very good like BS detector now and trying to figure out like what people's real incentive or, or real passions are or real purposes are. And trying to figure out as I go through, like, is this really going to work for me and what we're trying to do versus is it just kind of this flashy stuff? Because there's a lot of like, quote unquote, gurus out there that try to put on this face and this facade of what they can do and they can't really do or deliver what they're doing. Or if they do deliver it, they deliver it in a way that is not really fit your business. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems like in 2021 that there's more and more and more of those uh, coming up out of the woodwork every day, especially through social media and all these different social media influencers. But um, aside from differentiating differentiating yourself and rising above the noise that really fills this industry today, what are some key factors that you would attribute to your success? I mean, I just, I I think (laughs) I, I, I have a daily newsletter, which I sent out today. Do you, are you on it? I don't even know. I think you're on it, right? I am. With yeah. the, the Will Smith quote that I put in there. It's talking about dying on a treadmill. And <laughs> uh, I, I linked in a YouTube video of Will Smith talking about it. And he was like, you can be, you can be you know, stronger than me. You can be sexier than me. You could be better than me at this thing. But if we're going to go head to head on a treadmill, I'm going to die on the treadmill before I let you win. And it was just a, kind of like about I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing my work ethic. I'm not going to be outworked by anybody. And I think that is kind of what's been able to drive me through it. And I think just being able to do things that are do the difficult things and continue to do them, even when things suck, even when like you don't want to work out, you still work out. Even when you don't want to, you know, sit and write emails and write emails, even when you don't want to do an Instagram post, you do the Instagram post. So all those different things can contribute because the more consistent you are with anything, when we talk about the habits, the more you build those habits around it and the more people see you and the more consistently you can present yourself, the more people trust and buy into what you're doing. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. So I appreciate so much you being able to join this podcast and help me kick off season one 
Um, I mean, season two here, dang it. And I'm I'm excited for this to launch. I'm excited for people to hear this. So where where can the listeners find you? How can they get involved? Uh, there's so many different ways. I mean, I'm, I have a personal Instagram, like I said, personal newsletter. All the different things are at a Mercurio and my name, nobody ever spells it correctly. It's M-U-C-U-R-I-O. I have a website, amercurio.com on Instagram at amercurio. Uh, it's Anthony Mercurio Performance is a, like my little side thing, which I, I've been working with 40 or so athletes this summer, what I'll be continuing to do throughout the year. And I also own Prime Movement Performance and that's at Prime Movement, M-V-M-N-T for the Instagram and for the website and all that jazz. And I work with another one of our former coaches, uh, former in-person coaches, who's now a phys- traveling physical therapist. And we work on remote programming through Prime Connect, which is a way for us to connect with you no matter where you are, right through your phone, through an app called True Coach, where we deliver a membership templated program, as well as we do some individualized design for athletes, people who are in pain or people who are just looking to do something a little different than their traditional workout. So all all the places, everywhere and everything. <laughs> all the places, all the things, you will be able to find everything that Anthony just rattled off in the show notes of this episode. But thank you for listening and tuning out. <laughs>